Someone said that us humans are can't be compared to a house. We have our living rooms where we entertain. We have our basements where we hide the stuff we don't want people to see. And the way to observe All Saints Day maybe is to walk out onto the front yard and look up at the balcony and salute the balcony people. The balcony people. The people in our lives who have gone before us, who have been our friends, our lovers, our partners, the other half of us in some cases, who have been our encouragers, who have left a legacy for us. And that's what we do today. Each of those candles and those flowers represent a life, a life that meant something and will continue to mean something. So we salute them. We salute all the saints who have gone before us, all those who have been faithful and have provided us with the faith that we have today. In the book, Pilgrim's Progress, we meet two characters, Christian and Hopeful. And they're getting close to the river of death. And as they approach the river, they're met by two shining figures whose beautiful clothing shines like gold and whose faces shine like light. These two shining figures lead Christian and Hopeful as they come up out of the river of death into the celestial city, that beautiful place. Who are these shining figures? They're not angels. They're saints of God. Shining lights in the world of darkness, world of sin. That's who we are. That's who these people were. Shining lights, helping us, wandering with us together as we seek to find our way through this world and to find our way home. One of the most beautiful descriptions of the saints, Jack just read for us from the book of Revelation. I want to notice a few things about saints. First of all, I want you to notice who they are. It says, Before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Our faith is a universal faith. Saints of God come in every color, every shape, every size, speak every language of the world, and some languages that are no longer used. A great story is told about Clarence Jordan, who is best known for his cotton patch gospels. Jordan went one time to preach at a church in the deep south. And this was 60 or 70 years ago when segregation was normal in the south. 
And he got up to preach and he realized that the congregation wasn't segregated at all. There were black folks and there were white folks all sitting together. And after the service, he asked the pastor, an old hillbilly preacher, how did your church get this way? The old hillbilly preacher said, what way? He said, well, black and white folks all sitting together. Is that because of the Supreme Court decision? Preacher said, Supreme Court? Why would Christians need the Supreme Court to tell us that black folks and white folks ought to all be together? Jordan said, well, then how'd it happen? What's the history? The old preacher said, well, there used to be about 20 people in this church. When the old preacher died, they couldn't get no one to preach. So after about two months, I told the deacons I'd preach. They couldn't get anybody else, so they said, okay, go ahead. I got up the next Sunday, put my finger down on the verse in the Bible that says, in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And so I preached on that. I told them how Jesus makes different kinds of people, but they're all one. And when I finished, the deacons said they wanted to talk to me in the back room. When we got back there, they told me they didn't want to hear any more of that kind of preaching. Clarence said, well, what did you do? He said, it was easy. I fired them deacons. <laughs> if a man's not going to deke, he ought to be fired. Jordan was amazed. He said, well, why didn't they fire you? He said, they didn't hire me. So they couldn't fire me. And then I kept reminding him week after week, Sunday after Sunday. Jordan was stunned. And he said, and they put up with that? And he said, yep. Well, to be honest, not really. We decided that we were going to build the church with people who were actually serious about following Jesus, and that's when it started to grow. And that night, Clarence Jordan stayed at the home of a member of that church, a man who was a graduate of Yale, a college professor who had a PhD in English literature, and he drove 70 miles each week to go to this church. Clarence asked that professor, why do you go to that church to hear an old hillbilly preacher? You have a PhD from Yale. That guy can't even get a sentence right. Young man said, sir, I go to that church because that man preaches the gospel. And that is what the gospel is about. All people on earth are represented around the throne of God. That's the first thing we want to notice about the saints of God. Everybody's included. Secondly, notice how they're dressed. Jack read these words. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. White stands for holiness, for purity. These saints were in the presence of a holy God, so they had to be holy too. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very holy, and I don't meet very many people that I would consider holy people. How did these saints in heaven get that way? Well, it says they had their robes washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. And so now they were holy. We don't talk in church too much about 
being washed in the blood of the lamb. Simply, it's another way of saying that saints have been made worthy to inherit everything promised by God because Jesus died for us on the cross. In other words, they're standing around the throne the same way all of us will one day stand, by the grace of God. If getting into heaven was about getting what we deserve, why, we'd be wasting our time being here this morning. We'd all be in trouble. There's a story about Mother Teresa. She's in heaven. It's just her and God and nobody else. Only the holy people are allowed. And in front of them, it's time to eat. God places a couple of tuna fish sandwiches. And while she's eating her tuna fish sandwich, she looks down at the people who are in that other place. And she sees them eating steak and lobster and creme brulee. She says, not that I'm complaining, but why are they eating lavishly and we're having tuna fish sandwiches? Well, God says, with just the two of us here, I figure, why cook? (laughs) If getting to heaven were based on deserving it, I think maybe Mother Teresa would be there. But I don't know how many other people would be. Very, very few. But you and I, if we're honest, we'd be on the outside looking in. Our admittance to that wonderful place, that perfect, beautiful place, will not be based on what we deserve, but on God's unconditional love for us, on God's amazing grace, unexplainable. You may think that sometimes I talk a little bit too much about grace, but I talk about grace because I believe there are many people, even many church people, who don't really believe and understand and take it to heart the fact that God really does love you unconditionally. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, where you're from, how much money you have, what color your skin is. (laughs) Whatever you've done, it matters not. God loves you unconditionally, and I think we don't really and truly let that sink in. But, but I've been really, doesn't matter. God loves you unconditionally. The closest I can come, and I think it's interesting that we call them dogs because it's kind of like God spelled backwards, but that's the only other unconditional love that, I can, that, that comes even close to explaining how God feels about you. My dog... I miss that little guy. Lost him about three weeks ago. But my dog, it didn't matter what I did or how bad I was that day or how many mistakes I made or if I got my boss, I got chewed out by the boss that day, if I made somebody angry or hurt somebody's feelings or did something that I shouldn't have done, I knew that when I got home at the end of the day and I before I got to the door, that little guy was going to be waiting for me. And he's going to be at that door yipping and yiping and barking. And when I walked through the door, he was going to be all over me and he was going to be licking me and kissing me and he was going to be so happy to see me. And it didn't matter if I'd been working all day in the shop and I stunk. He didn't care. 
None of that mattered to him. He just loved me for me. And so I'd sit down and I'd enjoy my time with my dog. Unconditional love. Kind of strange to compare God to a dog. But I think it helps us to understand a little bit about how God disregards all of those things. He just doesn't care. It doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you and will always love you unconditionally. Pastor Billy Hornsby in his book called The Attractional Church tells about his experience of Christian faith. He grew up in a very strict Christian household. He said that he and his siblings each had chores to do every day. And one morning when he was about 10 years old, he was ironing his own shirt. Imagine that, a 10-year-old ironing his own shirt. He could just see the top of the ironing board and he was pressing his shirt for school and not paying attention. The iron slipped and before he could catch it, it fell and it burned his chest. Well, he screamed and he ran to get some ice from the freezer. And he writes these words. He says, Mama calmly looked at me and said, See there, God punished you. And then he says, If she said that to me once in my life, she said it hundreds and hundreds of times. It was her doctrine of God. She wanted to make sure that we knew we were accountable for our actions and the consequences of everything we did. This was my experience, and it became the basis of my faith, and I was scared of God. Do bad, you're going to be punished. But she never really talked much about forgiveness. And he said, I needed it, and I wanted forgiveness. And then he once met a man who told him, there is no God. This made him mad, and he said, I knew that there was a God in heaven because he'd been punishing me all my life, according to Mama. Strangely enough, what this person stated about there being no God motivated him to go into the scriptures and to begin to learn for himself who God is and what God expects out of us. And in all of his research, he discovered the God that he always hoped existed, a God of love, a God of acceptance, a God of forgiveness. Our sins are forgiven because of God's great love for us. Remember who the saints are. Remember how they're dressed. And finally, notice what they have come through. Jack read, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Note these words. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. It is important to understand that God's promises are to us who follow Jesus. Sure, we are accepted as we are, but as his followers, we're to try to live like he lived. Love as he loved, forgive as he forgave. Many of us have a mushy kind of faith that said, says, and I've talked about this recently, it says, everything's all right, Jesus loves me, this I know, It doesn't matter what I do with my life. I can go ahead living for myself as if I am the only one on the earth that matters. We're too often like the little boy who said to his dad, let's play darts, dad. I'll throw the darts and you say, awesome job, son. That's what we want out of God. We want God to tell us that we're wonderful, tell us that we're accepted, that we're forgiven, that we're loved. But don't tell us that our robes are dirty. Don't tell us that there's some changes that 
we need, may need to make in our lives. Don't tell us that from time to time we need to ask for forgiveness. Let me repeat those important words that I shared a few weeks ago from Max Lucado. He said, God loves us just as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants us to be more like Jesus. Who are the saints around the throne of God? Those who have gone before us. These nine. Our balcony people. They're there today. They're here today. Cheering us on. Scriptures talk about running a race. And as we approach that finish line, our balcony people will be cheering us on just like they are today. And then we'll, one glorious day, join them. We'll all be gathered together around that throne. In the meanwhile, let's do all we can to bring light to this dark world through our lives. Let's make it a life of loving God, loving people, looking forward to that day. When my candle gets lit and my people remember me and say, I'm so grateful that you're a part of my life. Amen.